Last weekend, I kicked off a message, uh, more than just a, a message or a message series for last week and today, really a word that I feel like God's speaking to us for the church this year. <clears throat> the word is the wilderness. You see it behind me. And, and let me just say, for those of you that might be hearing this for the first time, that the wilderness is not the vision for our church. The wilderness is the way to the vision for our church. Nobody gets amped about the wilderness like, yes, that sounds terrific. <clears throat> no, the wilderness is the way to the vision of the future that God has for his people. See, we believe in this church that, that God has called us to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's our mission as a church. And God absolutely wants to lead you and I from where you are right now, from where I am right now, to the future, the destiny, the promised land, if you will, <clears throat> of our kingdom potential and purpose. But I want to tell you, the way to get from where you are to where God wants you to be is through the wilderness. In fact, all through the word of God, we see the pattern repeated over and over again. The wilderness is the way. In fact, would you just tell somebody that hasn't caught, caught where I'm headed yet, tell somebody this morning, the wilderness is the way. I need y'all to intercede for the section in the back over there. That was really quiet and made me nervous. Even if you think about Moses and the Israelites coming, you know, out of bondage and captivity in Egypt, and many of us are <laughs> familiar with that story, God gave them a vision of a promised land. He said, this is, the, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. But that's not what he did. He led them in the wilderness. The because the, the wilderness, and he does the same thing with every, every believer, <clears throat> everyone who puts their confidence in Jesus. The Bible says in John 3, 16, and many of you could quote it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. What is that? It's a picture of a promise. It's a picture of a future hope, a glory, an everlasting life with Jesus in the presence of God. It's going to be awesome, but he didn't say in that moment, um, it's going to be a little bit of a wilderness journey to get there. Uh, by the way, if you want that reality, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, it always goes through the way of the wilderness. <clears throat> the wilderness is not about what God is leading you to, church. It's about what God is leading you through. The wilderness is not so much about what God is preparing for you as much as it is about what God is preparing in you. The wilderness is the way. Now, there's no denying the reality when you look at the word of God that the wilderness is often symbolic of unpleasant places. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, we see it over and over again that the wilderness becomes a place where God's judgment comes on his people, where, where things are corrected in the culture of God's people. I don't know if maybe you have a, a grandpa or a grandmother that used to use this expression, or maybe you use this expression, no judgment here, but I heard my grandpa say, you know, when I was a boy, if I acted up, they'd take me out to the woodshed. <coughs> we didn't have a shed. I didn't really know what that meant at first. But I learned. <coughs> I learned what a metaphorical woodshed was. And there's places in the word of God where God takes his children out to the wilderness for some behavioral modification. Anybody ever been to the woodshed? 
Or the wilderness, yeah. <clears throat> but last week, knowing that is true, last week I pushed back pretty hard against the, the mindset that says the wilderness is bad. The wilderness is just a place of correction. The wilderness is just a place where people go that, uh, that God is displeased with. I pushed back and challenged you to have a newfound appreciation for God's purpose and plan in the wilderness because the truth is before the wilderness became a place of 40 years of wandering for the Israelites, the wilderness was a place of deliverance. <clears throat> they were in bondage and captivity in Egypt for 400 years and God rescued the Hebrew nation out of bondage into the wilderness, into the wide open free range spaces of God's grace. And that's the invitation that God gives to each and every one of us to come out of bondage and come out of sin and come out of our old life and not step right into heaven, but to step into the wide open space of walking with Jesus. That's the wilderness. And one day we'll be in our promised land. One day we'll be with God face to face. And I'm going to try milk and honey. I'm, just, I'm curious. I don't... But right now it's an invitation to the wilderness. <clears throat> Last week, I, I gave three reasons to the church for why we need the wilderness. If you're a note taker, you can jot these down or maybe find that page from last Sunday, but there's three reasons. One is deliverance. The wilderness is the place of deliverance, but the other two things were that the wilderness is a place of discipleship, and it's also a place of discernment. And I'm not going to take any more time to unpack the thoughts from last weekend except to just give you one verse that really articulates well what I'm talking about. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 10 and 11 says this. <clears throat> Therefore, I led them out of Egypt, and I brought them into the wilderness. That was deliverance. I gave them my decrees, and I made known to them my laws. That's discipleship. <clears throat> by which the person who obeys them will live. It's in the wilderness that God wants to teach us to discern his voice, to learn his ways, and to obey his commands. God set them free in a, in a day. I mean, it took a day for two million people to cross the Red Sea and to step into the wilderness. But if you read the story, you know it took them about 40 years to figure out how to live in freedom. And that's, that's what the wilderness is for. In a moment, God can set you free. If you're here today and, and your life is a wreck and you don't know which way to turn, the good news of the gospel is turn to Jesus. He can set you free in a moment. The Bible says if anyone be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. That's a moment. And you can be set free now. But then you're going to go home. <laughs> you'll have work tomorrow. And those same people that cause you problems on Friday are going to clock in on Monday. And Monday's not going to feel like the altar call on Sunday. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Being set free and living free is two different things. See, the truth is everybody wants the promised land. Nobody signs up for the wilderness. How many of you would love to see God do miracles? I mean, come on. I believe in miracles. We pray for miracles. There's people I know right now that need a miracle, and I'm... Trusting God to give them one. All of us want miracles, but the thing is, none of us want problems. 
you, you do know a problem is a prerequisite for a miracle, right? Like, if you don't have a problem, you don't need a miracle. And so we all, we all love the idea of God, do miracles, do miracles. But then when God puts us in situations that, that squeeze us a little bit and cause us to pray the prayer of faith, we think God will be mad. I'm going to tell you today that God has a purpose for you in the wilderness. You know why that the children of Israel ate manna from heaven? You know why they were able to, to drink water that gushed out of a rock in the wilderness? I mean, those incredible miracles. One reason. They experienced that because if, if God hadn't have done that, they would have died. Like that, that's the reality of the wilderness, okay? They left two million strong out of Egypt and they left their fields. And so after a few days, the rations run out. And they're at a place of utter dependence. God, if you don't feed us, we're going to starve. God, if you don't give us something to drink, we're not going to make it. So the wilderness <clears throat> brought them to a place of total dependence on God. Let me just stop right here, church, and, and just say that that's the place that God is inviting you into in 2022. He wants you to come to a place of total dependence on him. Now, it's a lot easier to just make that commitment right now and to live that way than to be drugged through a, a situation that requires it. But either way, God loves you enough to draw out of you a deepened relationship of dependence on him. There's three more things that I want to tell you today, reasons that you need the wilderness. And the first one is what we're talking about, dependence. The wilderness is a place of dependence. Go with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, we're going to look at this need of depending on the Lord. You know, too many of us, we want the hope of the promised land without letting go of the security of Egypt. I don't know if you heard everything I just said, but too many of us, we, we live in this reality. We want the hope of the promised land without letting go of the security of Egypt. We want God to show us all the new things, the, the, the exciting things, what's, what's shiny and, and, and optimistic in the new year, but we don't, we don't want to let go of, of what we used to do, what we used to hold on to. In other words, we want new gains without new pains. We want new levels, but we don't want new devils. How many of you know, if you go to another level, you're going to have another problem? We never, we never graduate out of difficulty. And so a lot of us, we miss the, the opportunity to step into the next thing that God has for us because we don't want to let go of the convenience and the familiarity of yesterday. I'll show you when it happened in the Israelite story. It was right here, Exodus chapter 16. They started to run out of food. That's a problem. And this is what it says in verse 3 of Exodus 16. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food that we wanted. But you, Moses, brought us out here into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Imagine this scenario. They've just been delivered from captivity. 400 years, generation after generation of bondage. Of forced labor. They, they were little more than, than animals. 
to the Egyptian people. Just beasts of burden. And then God sets them free supernaturally, and they get into a squeeze. And instead of trusting God to be their provider in that moment, they long to go back to the security of slavery. Like, that was tough, but, you know, we had three square meals a day. It's easy, honestly, to, to sit on the outside and look at other people that keep going back to the same sin cycle and to be judgmental, isn't it? You know, when I see people that, that you know, come out of a prison sentence and then, you know, within a year they're right back in doing the same thing, it's easy to want to throw stones. It's easy. But what, are you do, what are you doing? But the truth is, all of us, we have our comfort levels. Even our, our hang-ups and our vices and the things that we know we shouldn't do, the things we know we shouldn't watch, the things we know we shouldn't say, the places we shouldn't go, but there's a level of comfort in it. And even though we know that God has something better, the unknown potential is scarier than yesterday's vice. Israel would rather go back than to trust God. And, and it happened again in, in Numbers chapter 14. After being in the wilderness for some time, they, they all of a sudden get to the place where they see the battle that's coming ahead. They see the potential conflict with the Canaanites. And it says in Numbers 14, beginning in verse 2, All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only... We had died in Egypt. Doesn't that sound familiar? <clears throat> or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? You hear how much presumption on God there is in that statement? Like, we know why God brought us here. We're going to fall by the sword. He says our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, verse 4, and they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, we don't have time to unpack their whole story, but understand these are people that have experienced the supernatural provision of God. I mean, parting the Red Seas, manna from heaven, one time and time again. And yet, at the first sign of a battle, at the first sign of conflict, they revert back to independence from God instead of dependence on God. God gave them a leader. His name was Moses. And here they are at the first sign of conflict saying, you know what, we're going to pick our own leader. We're going to come up with our own plan. We know what God's up to. God brought us out here to kill us. God's plan can't work. So we're going to pick our own plan. And we do the same thing. Church, when we look back at our old life, here's what we do. We look back at the old rugged cross and we sing about our sins being forgiven and we put all the credit on Jesus for what he's done to deliver us from our past, as we should. But then we stand right where we are and we look to our future and we put all the responsibility on us. Like, thank God for what you did back there, but I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Can I just remind you, the one who got you here is the one that will take you there. It's not on you. It's not on you. Paul said it like this in Philippians 1. He said, I am convinced that he who began a good work in you shall bring it to completion. He's going to finish the work if we will depend on Jesus. I was reminded this week of an old song. <clears throat> Many of you know it. It says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, 
Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from the wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. I love that thought, that the blood of Jesus is the double cure. It, it, it saved me from wrath, it, but it also makes me pure. It saved me, and it sanctifies me. It brought me here out of Egypt, but it's going to take me there into the promised land. That's the rock of ages that we stand upon today. That's the one the water flows from, and we can drink and never thirst again. The wilderness is a place where we learn dependence. Secondly, the wilderness is a place of detours. It's a place of detours. Go with me to Exodus chapter 13. Just back up a couple pages. Now, if you don't know that your steps are being led by the Lord, this sounds like a a negative point in the message. Like, oh, okay, (laughs) detours. But can I tell you, it's only a negative step if your steps are not ordered by the Lord. A detour is only a detour on your map because Jesus knows the end from the beginning. He has the whole story mapped out. He knows where he's taking you. The Bible says in Psalm 139, all the days of your life ordained for you are written in his book before even one is lived out. So the detour is only a detour on your map. I can't help but think about where we're at as a church right now. This is such an applicable point. Ten days ago, Ten days ago, we thought we knew where the property was going to be for our future location as a church. We had prayed about it. We'd signed the contract. I put the picture on the screen. Last Sunday, as many of you know, was Vision Sunday. And so, man, by, by Friday, I'm like, I'm ready to preach. You know, I'm, I'm excited about showing you pictures of what the building's going to look like on the property and, and all of that. And then Friday, ten days ago, we found out God closed that door. God closed that door and said, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not it. That's not the way we're going. And i got to be honest, that feels like a detour. I mean, that, that feels like, like recalculating, recalculating. <laughs> you, you, you ever done that? You're like in the turning lane. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? You know, my map, recalculating, recalculating. I think every 16-year-old, when they get their license, they should get a Rand McNally atlas. Like, you should just give, give them a map, you know, because none of us know how to get anywhere without a GPS anymore. You know, honestly, when I'm using my, my Maps app on my GPS, every once in a while, it will, it will just interrupt whatever podcast I'm listening to, and it'll say, suggested, shorter route, save 11 minutes. And then I'm, I mean, like, before that moment, I'm just cruising, I'm my, my, you know, my speed is set, I'm content, it even says in the corner of the screen what time I'm going to get there, I'm good with that, estimated time of arrival, and then all of a sudden, suggested route, save 11 minutes, and all of a sudden, nothing I was doing is good enough. <laughs> like, how can I possibly accept that ETA if I can get there 11 minutes faster? I'm, I must find the shorter route. I'm sorry to admit that there has been more than a few times that somebody in my family has gotten car sick because we ended up on some windy back road trying to follow a suggested route. (laughs) Usually her. 
All because I wanted to take a, a suggested route, because I wanted to find a quicker way to get there. Can I just tell you, church, God doesn't always choose the shortest route. God doesn't always take the quick way. Sometimes God chooses to take us on a route through the wilderness, and there's a, re- there's a reason for it. It's because God knows what you can handle, and he also knows when you can handle it. He knows what you can handle, and he knows when you can handle it. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 says this, When Pharaoh let the people of God go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Though, if they fought war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So, God led the people around by the desert. The New King James Version says, through the wilderness, toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. At least that's what they thought. Can you imagine them in all their confidence? I mean, they've just crossed the Red Sea. Egypt's army has been drowned in the Red Sea. Miriam breaks out her tambourine. The first official music-led worship service in the Bible is ensuing. They're having church. Revival's breaking out, and they are ready for war. They're like, we got this. We got this. And God's like, they are definitely not ready for this. So I love the way the New Living Translation says, verse 18, because it says, so God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. If you look at any Bible map, you're going to find that it's a pretty straight route from Egypt to Canaan, and it goes right through the Philistine country. I mean, they could have gone straight there, but God chose to lead them in a roundabout way. Why? Because God knows what you can handle, and he knows when you can handle it. I mean, I I can imagine they, they must have felt lost. They must have felt like God had, you know, not turned them in the right direction. Or maybe Moses, you know, uh, he got lost. But the truth is, right there in verse 17, God said if they face war, they might change their minds. They might return. They might go back to Egypt. Can I just tell somebody today that's frustrated with the pace? I want to tell somebody that's frustrated with what God's doing and how slow he's doing it. Every delay is not from the devil. Not every delay is from the devil. Do I believe the devil wants to hinder? Absolutely. Do I believe he wants to slow down the plans and purposes of God in our life? 100%. I believe that. But let's not get so frustrated with the pace of grace that we try like Jonah to run out ahead of God's will. I just preached a whole other sermon in one sentence. Not every delay is from the devil. Let me give you a third reason that we need the wilderness. Because the wilderness is a place of development. It's a place of development. The wilderness years for Israel were, they were years of formation. They were years of learning. They were years of maturing. They were developing. And and I, I just want you to understand all these things I've been saying today and last Sunday of why we need the wilderness, because it is a place of deliverance, because God wants to call you out of 
captivity and into the free, wide open range of his plan for your life. He wants to teach you how to follow him. We need the wilderness for deliverance. We need it for discipleship so that we can learn day by day to trust. We need the wilderness for discernment. Sometimes God pulls us out of the crowd and away from the noise so that we can be more attuned to his voice. And sometimes when God starts breaking off relationships in your life, you feel like, God, what are you doing? I need those people. And the truth is you need him more. And so he'll pull you into a wilderness so you can hear him. We need the wilderness to learn dependence on God. Give us this day our daily bread, trusting God every day to lead you and guide you. And yes, we need the wilderness for the detours because sometimes we're so ambitious about the next thing we're going to do from God that we can outrun our resource. The Bible says Samson got up as he had before and he ran out to face the Philistines and he did not know that the presence of God had left him. What a sad commentary. It can happen in your life and mine. We can get so ambitious for the next thing that God wants to do that that we don't follow the roundabout way he wants to do it. And God wants to preserve you from a conflict you can't win. We need the wilderness because all these things, they're doing one thing. They're developing us. The wilderness is a place of development. It's like like a, a photographer that takes the negatives into a dark room. He has to put the right chemicals on the negatives. There's going to be a moment where where the light is going to reveal the beauty of the image, but the light too early would would destroy the the film. And so they have to keep it in the dark room and, and let it be development so that the image can reap the benefit of the darkness. For some of you, that's exactly where God has you. Don't miss the lesson. He wants you to reap the benefit in the darkness. Don't don't be frustrated and doubt God's goodness. Can I tell you God's grace goes in dark places too? God wants to develop you. He wants to perfect something in you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's developing you. He's preparing you so that you can be a display of his glory. So that people can look at the picture that is your life and see the image of Christ. The truth is, he loves you too much. He loves you too much to give you a platform that your character can't keep you on. Everybody in our culture today, we want to be influencers. Everybody wants to be an influencer. And the truth is, if God put that kind of allowed that spotlight on some of our lives, it would destroy us. God loves you too much to give you so much financial blessing that you'll stop trusting him for daily. You wanted it to, but God loves you too much in this season to give you a relationship that he knows you'll replace him with. So God doesn't want to give you the weightiness of a blessing that will cause you to crumble. I'm going to tell you, I believe God wants to bless I believe God's blessing is coming on this house. I believe he's coming on this church. He's coming on my life. If you want that, you can receive that yourself. God wants to bless his people. It's clear all through his word. But I need to tell you, blessing is dangerous. Dangerous. In fact, we see that in the story of the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God has made them ready to possess the land, to step into the abundance that God had intended for them all along. 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God begins to tell them through Moses. He says in verse 10, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. You're going to drink from wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. In other words, I'm about to bless your socks off. That's what God's saying. I, I, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in, in, with things you didn't ask for, things you didn't work for, things you didn't plow. It's just going to be there. You're going to step into a harvest season. And praise God, I think any one of us could get excited about that. But God says, as good as it's going to be, when you eat and are satisfied, he says, verse 12, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Church, this is the danger of blessing. I mean, of all the things that they're about to experience when they step into the promised land, God's not worried about their, their agricultural abilities. God's not worried about their governmental structure or the economy. He's not worried about their military uh, might or how they're going to advance and possess the land. God says, you know what the most dangerous thing is you need to know? That I'm going to bless you. No, that's it. That's the most dangerous thing. You need to know, I'm going to bless you. And when I bless you, the, the, the temptation is going to be that you forget. That you forget the goodness of God. That you forget how utterly dependent you are upon me. So he says in verse 13, fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. And take your oaths in his name. In other words, he's saying, make a promise now. Right now in the wilderness. Make a vow before the Lord your God. Commit to be faithful to God right now before the increase comes, before the blessing comes. Make up your mind. Make an oath in his name. Verse 14, he says, Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples that are around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, <clears throat> is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Wow, that turned really quick, didn't it? Like, God's like, I'm going to bless you. I mean, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to give you lands and food and it's going to be awesome. But if you forget me, I'll kill you. I, I will kill you. <laughs> like, that's intense. Why? Why would God respond like that to his people? One reason, because blessing is dangerous. Because God loves you too much <clears throat> to give you more than you can handle. And we often say that thinking about the, the difficulties and the tragedies and, the, and the, the sicknesses and the temptations. And we say, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. But it's also true of blessing. So God says, be careful. Because I'm going to bless you. And that might be the worst thing for you, unless you make your vow now in the wilderness, unless you make an oath to the Lord. You know, I've even talked to people that they, they, they talk about the future of our church, and, and I know they mean well, but they even say things like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you talk about, like, building a new campus, and, like, I just don't want to, you know, to, I don't know, I don't want us to get so big that, I don't know, we change, and, and, I, and I know what they mean. I just kind of let them talk a little bit, and, 
And sometimes people even come to me and say, you know, I, I just don't want you to become one of those pastors that, you know, and they're looking for words, and I'm like fill in the blank, that reaches multitudes and leads people to Jesus. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. One of those pastors who what? But here's, here's what they're saying. You know, they're, they're saying, like, I'm afraid of the blessing. I, I, you know, I, I mean, I, it's exciting, like, what God's doing, but I'm a little bit concerned. I'm a little bit concerned about the blessing that, like, you know, God's going to be really good, and then it's going to mess the whole thing up. And to think about how stupid that sounds. Can I tell you God is not going to sabotage his plan with his goodness? God is not going to do for us more than he wants to do for us, but God is not going to do less. And so we can trust and have confidence in the faithfulness of God for what he has next for us. Sometimes he moves us like he did Joseph from the prison into the palace in a day, but sometimes it's a roundabout way. And we all want that last part of his story, but we forget Joseph spent over 15 years in a prison. It's a process. It's a process, so what do we do? I'm going to ask the worship team to come is symbolic of what we ought to do spiritually every day. We're going to receive communion together right now. And, and there's communion cups in the cup holder in the seat in front of you. I want to invite you to grab those. And <clears throat> As you open the communion elements, that top layer, the clear layer will reveal the wafer. I want you to just take that wafer and hold it in your hand. In the wilderness, the people cried out to God for food. We read it earlier. They said, God, did you bring us out here to starve? And Moses prayed. He interceded for the people. And God answered. I just want to show you that portion of scripture quickly. It's in Exodus chapter 16. Verse 14 says, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Some of y'all didn't know frosted flakes was biblical. <laughs> That's it right there. Maybe instead of the Daniel fast this year, we should do the frosted flake. No, no, let's not. Let's not do it. It says in verse 15, when the Israel, I have to have fun, you know. This is my second go through on this sermon, so I just got to have fun. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. If you translate into the original language the question, what is it? The Hebrew word is manna. So if you ever wonder what manna was, it's a question. It's literally, what is it? They were like, well, let's just, what, I don't know, just call it, what is it? And God provided for them, not just in that moment, but daily, every day. He provided for them in the wilderness. And then Jesus, in his ministry, gathers around the table with his disciples to celebrate the Passover feast, to commemorate God's faithfulness of leading his people out of bondage in Egypt and into the promised land through the wilderness. <clears throat> and he says in Luke chapter 22, it says he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them, all of his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. Can I tell you what we ought to do in the wilderness? We ought to remember Jesus. When we receive communion, we're saying, I, I, I remember. I remember that Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is God's provision in my life. Jesus is my source. Jesus is my strength. Jesus is my guide. He nourishes my soul. And every time we receive communion, we're saying, Jesus, I I don't just receive something that represents you. Jesus, I receive you. And if, if you're in a place in your life today where, and you, you don't even know what God's doing or where God's leading or what the provision looks like, maybe you're, you're literally saying, God, what is it? <laughs> like, what is it? Is, is this your provision? Is this, is this your plan? Is this your path? Let's just take a moment and stop asking all the questions and start focusing in on the bread that came down from heaven. His name is Jesus. And I want to invite you to just pray with me right now. Father, all over this room, you know what's happening in the hearts and lives of your people. You know the questions that we're asking, God. You know the battles that we're facing. You know the frustration that we're feeling. We all want the promise. We didn't ask for the wilderness. But God, I pray that in this season, in this moment, that you would teach us that you are heaven's resource that's come down to feed us, to provide for us what we need right now. So God, as we receive this bread today, Lord, we put our confidence in you. We put our questions aside and we receive the provision from heaven. Jesus, we thank you for coming to be the bread of our life. Let's receive the bread together today. Verse 20 says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus was making the metaphor to the blood of the Passover lamb that was spilt and spread over the doorpost of their homes so that when the death angel came through, wherever he saw the blood, the firstborn was spared. Jesus came to be the firstborn, to be the firstborn, the only begotten of God who sacrificed his life like a lamb so that we could be saved. It's a reminder to us today as we hold these cups in our hands that that yes, God wants to supply and provide for our needs today, but his priority was our greatest need. His priority was the forgiveness of our sins. His priority was removing the barrier between you and I having relationship with God. And so let's take a moment right now as we get ready to receive the cup that represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled. Let's let the blood of Jesus do its work. His blood is still our sins today. And the cup of God's mercy is full because he drank the cup of God's wrath. So today, would you bow your head with me once again all over this room? And if you're here today and there's sin in your life and there's things that are hindering God's work in your life, keeping you from obeying his commands, keeping you from hearing his voice, from following him, If there's sin that you need to repent of, make an altar right where you're sitting. Father, today, 
we thank you that the cup we hold represents the mercy of God. And your mercies are new today. And your forgiveness is available. And so, God, we receive today grace and healing and forgiveness of all of our sins. If anyone be in Christ today, they are made new. In Jesus' name, the old is gone. All things in this moment now, they're becoming new again. Lord, we receive your grace. Let's drink the cup together. I want to invite you to just place that cup back in the cup holder and stand to your feet with me all over this room. We're going to just respond in gratitude to the word of the Lord. We're going to declare these words, hallelujah. The sun has set us free today. Would you lift your voice with me?